Um, this today I want to I, I, I do have a prophetic word, um, but it's not I don't believe that the prophetic word could be called a direct uh, prophecy or prophetic word. I think it's more of a prophecy for a prophecy. Uh, and that's going to make sense in a minute. Um, I believe that what God is um, is has for me to speak to you this morning is uh, the title of my message is prepare the way. Um, and I think what God is is saying this morning is that for everything that he's spoken to you, everything that he will speak to you, the word today is prepare the way. You say, well, God has spoken a lot of stuff to me. I haven't seen it come about. I'm in the same boat with you. But there's a lot of things that I never prepared for. There's a lot of things that I received the word. And then we've got this phrase in the church, you can put it on the shelf, right? If it's not for today, just put it on the shelf. Um, here's what I think. I don't think that, that God jumps out of time. And um, I don't think that God shares anything with us uh, that we don't need to hear right now. Um, so there's a lot of things that don't make sense in the moment. But there are always things that you can do to prepare the way for what God is is saying to you. And uh, and Marie, I may switch microphones. Y'all, I got the weirdest ears. I got elf ears. They're floppy. They don't have any like cartilage in them. So this may not stay on. So be prepared to make that switch just in case. So uh, I want to tell you a little bit history lesson. 1908, turn of the century, Henry Ford. Okay, Henry Ford developed his first automobile in 1908. Is the first one rolled out of his building. The Model T rolled out of his building. Did you know that Henry Ford? Some, I mean, some of you may not know this, that Henry Ford did not invent the car. Henry Ford, the car was actually invented a long time before. The car was invented by Carl Benz of Mercedes-Benz back in 1885. Um, So the car had actually been out for a long time, almost a few decades, uh, by the time that Henry Ford came along and decided to do something. So Henry Ford didn't invent the car. Henry Ford invented what? Do y'all remember? Do y'all know? The assembly line. There you go. Henry Ford invented the assembly line, which is still in use in manufacturing all over the world today. Um, he just decided to, that cars would be what he would manufacture. Now, at, at that time, there was a big debate over which was better, uh, a horse or a car, which from our perspective seems utterly ridiculous because none of us came here on a horse this morning. We all came in nice vehicles. We all came in something that um, that was comfortable, that shifted itself, you know, that gets good gas mileage. Some of, um, But we all came, you all came here in something besides a horse. But at the time, there was a big debate on which was better, a horse or a vehicle. And they would have races and they would have all these different uh, competitions and stuff like that. Much like we're having today with electric vehicles. Have you all seen the videos of, you know, uh, a, a, some kind of a Bugatti or some kind of a supercar uh, hitched up to a Tesla and pulling and seeing which one would pull the other one, you know, and races and all this stuff, you know. It's a big deal right now between electric cars and, 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 um, and gas-powered vehicles. We're kind of in the same transition now, if you'll notice and pay attention. We're kind of in the same transition in that way as uh, they were back then with horses. Um, so 
we think that's silly because we're we're seeing it from our perspective now. But cars did not make sense at the time. Cars were super impractical. Cars didn't they there was not an infrastructure for the mass production of the vehicle. In fact, Henry Ford mass produced and developed a way and began to mass produce the vehicle even before the world the the United States could contain or could uh, had an infrastructure to support it, and um, so Emory, I am going to make that switch. It just ain't going to stay on. I'm sorry. Let me grab that. All right, that's much better. I can hold on to that. It was worth a try. All right. So uh, Henry Ford, he, uh, he started mass producing. We can turn it down a little bit. He started mass producing uh, vehicles before there was an infrastructure on in the United States to support it. Roads were built for horses. Roads, in fact, had been traveled by horses so much that there were, they were not smooth. They were chopped up by horse hooves. I mean, ro- roads were rough and they didn't have... They didn't do paved roads. And in fact, they didn't really refine gravel and bring gravel in. So y'all seen the old pictures of Main Street and El Dorado and places like that after a big rain and, and you couldn't even walk through the streets. Well, you could get through the streets like that on a horse, but you can imagine a car with its little skinny wheels and tires trying to get through something like that. So it was kind of a joke. It was kind of a joke for Henry Ford to mass produce something that the world could not contain. The world wasn't ready for. The Model T only had a range of 20 to 40 miles per tank. So when you filled up your Model T, wherever you could find the gas, in 20 or 40 miles, you would have to fill it up again. And here was the problem with that is there were no gas stations. And you say, well, you know, all the people had to do is just build a gas station. Wait a minute. There were no refineries. There are, there were very few refineries for gasoline. There weren't enough refineries to support gas stations, to support the cars that Henry Ford was building. But he built them anyway. So why would he invest so much into something that the world was not ready for? Why would he invest everything? Into a system to develop the one thing. You know, he could have, he could have actually mass produced anything that the world was ready for and had instant success. If you think about that for a minute, there, he could have developed a way to mass produce an inexpensive saddle for a horse. And it would have, so it would have been an instant, it would have been a hit. And he would have made millions off of a saddle, or anything like that, that the world was ready for. But he decided to invest everything and to mass-produce something that the world was not ready for. In fact, Henry Ford never saw the complete fruition. He saw a lot of it. But he never saw the complete fruition of his efforts before he died. He didn't see what we see today. Um, So, I think that Henry Ford had a knack to see what see what was coming. 
Now, I don't, I don't even think that if you look back over it, I don't know that he was a believer. I don't know that Henry Ford was a Christian or not. There's really no evidence one way or the other. He went to the Episcopal Church, but he believed in reincarnation. He, you know, and it was just, a, it's kind of a muddy <laughs> water with, with, uh, with him and the Lord. I, I really don't know if he, if he ever gave his heart to the Lord. I, and maybe he did. I'm just saying I don't know. But he definitely had a knack for seeing things. Maybe not even the way that they should be, but the way they were going to be. And he was able to see the way that the things were going to be. And he decided to invest everything in the way things were going to be, not the way that they were right now. Um, he knew that if he mass produced something that people wanted enough and could afford, that the world would change to meet it. I'm going to say that again because I think that's a principle that we all need to catch this morning. He knew that if he could mass produce something that people wanted enough and they could afford it, that the world would change to meet it. He invested in a future beyond his lifetime. God has made promises to us. God has made promises to you as an individual. God has made promises to our church. God has made promises to our nation. God has made promises, so many promises. I have a collection. I have a book of promises. I have cassette tapes of prophecies. I have all of these things that where God has spoken and prophesied things. And I haven't seen a lot of those things come to pass yet. But he has made so many promises to us. And this new year, there's going to be even more prophetic words that are going to come forth over you, over the church. There's going to be more prophecy is not going to stop. The word of God is going to keep coming forth and there's going to be new promises made and there's going to be confirmations of ones that you've already received. And those are awesome. Some some words that are come forth are just going to confirm something that God has already said. Um, here's what we do. When we receive a prophecy. We wait for the world to line up. We wait for everything, all of our circumstances, everything to fall into place for that word to come to pass. And we never ask God why he decided to share it with us. We wait and we pray for God to move and to line everything up. But we never ask ourselves why God chose to share it with us here now at this time. Why did God, I mean, it, like I said, I don't believe that God shares things with us out of time. I think that when we receive a word, we're ready for that word. Now, I'm not sure that, I mean, you look around, you say, well, nothing's lined up, nothing's ready for it. But God didn't make a mistake. So when God shared that word with you, when that prof, prophetic word came forth, either if you believe it, and you believe that it was from God, then you have to believe that he shared it with you on time. And so we pray for God to do everything, but we forget that he decided to share the word with us. He didn't have to. He could have just done it all. He could have just shared it with you like you're not a part of this, but I just wanted you to know about it beforehand. I mean, that's awesome. But no, he's strategic. And when he shares something with us, it's for a reason. Genesis 12 verse 1 through 4 says this. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go 
from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord told him. There's three things that happen in this prophetic word that God gave to Abram. The first part of that was a command, an action that he required Abram to take. The second thing is what would happen, what the promise was when he obeyed. The third part was obedience. So it was within those four verses, God spoke to him and said, you need to do this. I will do this. And then the last part, so Abram did his part. Exodus 3 Starting in verse 6, it says, Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have seen them, heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good land and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are pressing him. So now go. (laughs) I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Do you understand what God just told Moses? God told Moses, I'm going to come down, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do all these things. At that point, God could have checked out. And Moses could have said, well, thanks for sharing that with me. But the way God finished that, he said, now you go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Didn't God just say that's what he was going to do? Didn't God just tell Moses that he was going to do that? But then he required something of Moses. Basically, what God is saying to Moses, he says, I'm going to do all of this through you. Through your obedience. When you obey and you do what I've called you to do, I will do these things. Let's go to Judges and let's talk about Gideon. He says in uh, chapter 6, verse 13, Gideon says, Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. Such a polite guy, Gideon. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, do not bring the Lord, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And I think the word that God is speaking, first of all, to us this morning is go Am I not sending you? See, a lot of us, we don't feel adequate. We don't feel like the things that God has promised us or is promising us or will promise us that we are adequate for. And the answer to that is you are absolutely not adequate for it. And that doesn't matter. God is saying, I need you to obey so that I can do these things through you. The whole purpose 
of prophetic words is for the kingdom of God to come to earth. The whole purpose of a prophetic word is it's a strategy for the light of God to pierce the darkest places on the earth. That is the strategy of a prophetic word. It is God saying, I want to do this through you. I want to save. I want to deliver. I want to do these things through you. Promises. Every time that God gives you a promise. It is accompanied by Holy Spirit direction. See, a lot of us, we walk away from a prophetic word and we say, and we immediately goes in our mind and we're just like, how's that going to happen? There's a, um, I always wanted a, um, I always wanted a house built out of shipping containers. And that was, I mean, and now it's kind of cool, but it wasn't cool when I started. I mean, I, I've been, I've been wanting this for like 20 years. I've been wanting um, to, I've, I've got drawings on graph paper of all these different ways that you could do it. And I've always wanted that. Well, uh, Leah had a dream one time. She said, I dreamed that we were going down a road. There was a field on one side. There was an, there was a, a like a traditional house on the other side. And then there was a house at the end of the road. And over here on the left was a big field. And in that field, she said, I saw the container house that you, that you drew. I saw it out in that field, and it blinked. And it was blinking. And you know what I started doing for the next, like, years? I mean, that was years ago. For years, I looked for that place. For years, I drove around looking for that exact setup. You know, and I'll ask Leah, is this what you saw in your dream? Is this what you said? And it got annoying, you know, because I wanted that container house so bad that I started trying to figure it out in my mind. And the thing is, when God gives you a prophetic word, the first thing we need to do is not try to figure it out in our mind because you're because it's not going to line up. You're not going to see everything lining up. That's the purpose of the prophetic word. It's not so that you can recognize something already done, but so you can recognize what God wants to do, even when it doesn't make sense, even when you can't recognize it around you, even when you look around and you say the world isn't ready for that. Like the car that you look around you and you say, there's not even an infrastructure to support what God just said. And that's the whole point. The first thing that we need to do is not to try to figure it out in our brain, but to begin to seek the Holy Spirit for the strategy and begin to seek the Holy Spirit for the next step, for the direction. Um, Bill Johnson said this. He said, within every promise from God is the power to fulfill it. It's a complete package. When God has promised you something, he already knows. He's already prepared. He's already packed it full of everything that is needed for its fulfillment. He just needs obedience. He just needs us to come in line here on this earth with what heaven wants to do. He needs us to be a channel, a conduit, a grounding rod for heaven to come to earth. These days anymore, we get a word from God and we wait around for him to change the circumstances and we put it on the shelf, which I'm not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I've got a lot of prophecies on my shelf, but we put it on the shelf before we seek the Holy Spirit about it. A lot of times God will give us a word and it, we try to figure it out in our brain. It doesn't make sense. So we shelve it. And I, sometimes that's just an excuse for being spiritually lazy, I think. 
Sometimes it's just an excuse for us not to do the hard work that's involved. Do you think it was easy for Abram to leave everything when God said go? Do you think it was easy for Moses to stand up to the Pharaoh to come back and face all the people that didn't even want him to deliver them, actually? Do you think it was easy for Gideon? I mean, it definitely wasn't easy for Gideon. He said so. Gideon said, I am the least of all these people. And he was hiding. He was scared. It's not easy. It always requires something. See, the word of God is not for the goosebumps. The word of God is, is, is for action and it's uncomfortable and it should be. Jesus said, I haven't come to this earth to, to, to bring everything together. And so we can all just go around a campfire and sing Kumbaya and everything is awesome. I came to bring a sword. I, cre- I came to divide between. And guys, when the word of God comes, who Jesus is, Jesus is the word. When the word of God comes, it divides. And it makes us have to make decisions about what we're going to allow in our life and what we're not. I've uh, One time, uh, a few years ago, there was a lot of these little rent houses that came up for sale. They were all owned by one person. They all looked the same. He had already remodeled them. They were solid. They were like those houses from the 30s and 40s, but they're only like one bedroom and two bedroom. They're all very similar, all new plumbing. They were, I mean, everything about them was just perfect. And so I started trying to figure out how we were going to come up with the money and if, how the bank, uh, how I could go to the bank about this. And I was all ready for that. And the word of God to me in that moment was because, you know, me, I jump ahead and then I, I ask God, God, was that, is, was that okay that I just did that? <laughs> you know, or anybody like that? Um, and I, so I did that. I was like, and, and the Holy Spirit said to me, and y'all are going to laugh, but this is how the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He told me to hang loose. And I, and I, but I knew what that meant. He's just like, I, I had the sense that the Holy Spirit was saying, there's something coming. You don't want to get entangled with this right now. So his word was hang loose. That was my prophetic word. Um, but the thing is, it was very difficult for me to let that go. Because that was an income generating machine. I had already done the math that if we could get get those that we would be, you know, set. And uh, but that wasn't God's plan. And so I had to make a decision in that moment. That is that is extra weight. That is what the Holy Spirit is saying is just going to entangle my life. And here recently, even in our business there, we've had to make some serious changes and really streamline some things and and bring it kind of back down to to to. Very simple and everything under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And it didn't make sense. And I think, I mean, I I feel like I probably hurt people in the process. I don't know. But you have to ask yourself, how much do we build? This is a side note, but how much do we build that God never instructed us to build? And how much are we going to have to tear down to get back to where he needs us to be? And people are involved, guys. And so we've got to be careful of how we build. Um, so if Abraham, Moses, or Gideon had waited around for God to change the circumstances, you know what God would have done? He would have just found somebody else. That's the way that God works. Nothing is going to hinder. You are not going to stop the plan of God. And when God shares a prophetic word with you, it is not 
It is not for you. And that's kind of harsh, but it's not for you. It is for the kingdom. And God is saying, this is what I want to do through you to bring the kingdom to earth. And so we have a, have a huge responsibility that falls on our shoulders when there's a prophetic word given to us. It's, some, it's not something that we can just say, oh, that would be nice one day, or that would be nice. Oh, thank you, John. That's nice. It's not a compliment. It's a responsibility. If God gave you a promise, He gave you a mission. If God gave you a promise, He gave you a purpose. He gave you something to be responsible for, to see through. Now remember, everything that's wrapped up, everything that that you need in that promise is wrapped up in it. But you've got to unwrap that thing. We, We spent... You know, Samuel, our five-year-old, is the funniest finicky little boy I've ever seen. I've never seen a kid open presents. He was untying bows that weren't meant to be untied. You know, the ones you buy already made at the store and you stick them on? He was untying those things before he could open the present. I'm like, you don't even have to untie that, buddy. Just rip it off. And uh, But he would just very delicately unpack things, and he would try to see how the box is supposed to open and pull the tape off. He sat and pulled all the extra tape off the box before he opened it. So he like he unwrapped, got all the paper off of it, and there was some tape still left on it. So he turned it over and pulled all the tape off. I'm like, let me show you how to do that, buddy. Uh, but the uh, – so when God gives you a promise, it is a – it's a package deal and God has given it to you and you have to unwrap it you have to unpack it you have to see what all is involved in it you have to seek God about how each thing in that package that you've received ties in the timing of it it's just so much involved in a word from God it's not just I'm going to do this just thought you should know it's not like that um, so what happens If you get a word, you get a prophetic word, and it doesn't line up with what you see around you. What what happens if the world doesn't line up with the word? What happens if your circumstances don't line up with the promise that God has made? Let me read real quick, and y'all are going to have to really dig in with me on this to see the truth in this. But this is Mark 2, starting in verse 18. It says, one time the disciples of John the baptizer and the Pharisees were fasting. So they came to Jesus and asked, why is it that John's disciples and disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but your disciples are not? Jesus answered, how can the sons of the bridal chamber fast when the bridegroom is next to them? As long as the bridegroom is with them, they won't. But the days of fasting will come. When the bridegroom is taken from them and who would mend worn out clothing with new fabric. This is where Jesus is really driving it home right here. When the new cloth shrinks, it will rip, making the tear worse than before. And who would pour new wine into old wineskin? Eventually, the wine will ferment and make the wineskin burst, losing everything. The wine will be spilled and the wineskin ruined. Instead, new wine is always poured into new wineskins. What Jesus was doing at this time is he was changing everything. When Jesus showed up, 
He was changing. He knew that the old system that was in place could not contain what he was wanting to do. Don't you think it would have worked out? Uh, Don't you think that it would have made sense for Jesus to go immediately to the temple and begin to recruit the best of the best Pharisees? I'm here. I'm going to do this work on the earth. This is, I've been sent from God. I need the best of the best. You know where he went? He went to the marketplace. He went to the fish market. He went and found someone who had betrayed, who was living in a, he was trapped in this uh, occupation, being occupied by the Romans against his own people. Matthew, the tax collector, he went and found the oddest bunch of people and brought them together because the old system couldn't contain. Why, why couldn't it contain it? Because they tried to control it. If he had brought the Pharisees in on what he was wanting to do, they would try to control it like they were already controlling everything else. They were already making everything about them. They were already bleeding the system dry for what they wanted out of it. Jesus did not go to the old system. He started building a new system. He started bringing out the new wineskins. He started bringing out the new cloth. And he followed God's plan all the way to his death. Even though physically here on this earth, he didn't see its fulfillment. Now, you've got you to keep this in mind that Jesus went to the grave believing that God would complete the work because he was obedient. Even though it was the darkest hour. Even though it didn't look like it was going to happen, he knew because he was obedient that God would see it through. He trusted that God would do his part if he did his Back in Henry Ford's day, new infrastructure was required to transition to the transportation system that we have today. Hardly anyone predicted at that time that cars would take over the world. When we went to India, and I know I talk a lot about that, but it was a traumatic experience for me. But, uh, no, I, I've, been, uh, I've been looking back at some of the pictures and everything, and you know, after after you get kind of get over the um, uh, the trauma of something, then you begin to see uh, all of the great things. And India was a very um, very uh, mesmerizing place. Just a everything was beautiful, um, but I just got real sick while I was there, so I just didn't want anything to do with it for a while. But in India, if you can imagine, everybody in America, every family in America probably has a vehicle, at least one, you know, average, probably there's one per person, I would say. Well, if you take all of that and you pack it into a state, what, the size of Arkansas maybe, everybody with every car, that's that's India. (laughs) So basically, it's tons of people. Everybody has a car, a motorcycle, and they're all driving at the same time. And so there's so many cars uh, around the world, so many cars, so many vehicles in India, but nobody predicted in 1908 that that would be the reality. But Henry Ford saw it. He saw a future where things were heading and he didn't invest so much in the product as he invested in the system 
that would produce it. We could say that he invested in the vehicle for the vehicles. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Is that God is asking you to not invest in the promise. But to invest in the infrastructure for the promise to come about. God is calling for you to produce a vehicle for the vehicle. God is calling you to produce an infrastructure, a system, to begin to seek him, to develop a system for the promise to come to the earth. In this season, God is looking for those who are going to, what the Bible says, build a temple for his name. He's calling people to lay infrastructure for the presence of God to dwell in. Uh, one of the, one of the, this was, we were driving around trying to see Christmas lights uh, yesterday, which everybody was gone. Everybody in Camden, Camden was a complete ghost town. And it was like every house was dark, no cars in the carport, anywhere. It was just like, wow, this is really weird. And so I turned to Leah and I'm just like, where are all the people? And she's like, well, they all went somewhere for Christmas. And I'm like, well, where did those people go? You know, it's just like nobody came to Camden. And it's just like, it's like, I want to go to the town that all these people went to because it's packed. Because when anybody came to Camden to spend time with family, I guess, because every house was deserted. But we were driving around. We were trying to find Christmas lights, which people don't do good anymore. You know, people really need to step it up with the Christmas lights. Um, everybody got lazy with the blow-ups and the projectors and stuff like that. Come on, get a staple gun out. And uh, so we're driving around trying to find Christmas lights. And and I really believe that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. But, I, you know, I... I process externally, so my poor wife, I say everything out loud as I'm thinking it. And um, so I'm just uh, just kind of thinking through. It's just like, you know what? I know that God is asking us to develop infrastructure for the kingdom to come to earth. But I'm not really sure how all that ties in in a personal way. So I'm beginning to talk through this thing. And what I began to really realize in that moment is that, oh, my goodness, I have been trying to I've been asking God and maybe some of y'all can relate to this. I've been asking God to bless me so I can be a blessing. Lord, give me finance finances so I can financially be a blessing to other people or God put me in front of a lot of people so I can influence them. All these things. What God is saying is all of the things. This isn't in my notes, so I'm just think, I'm processing externally that. OK, all of the things that are in my life. That do not line up with the promise. I'm not talking about out here. I'm talking about in here that there were so many things that were in my heart that God says, you know, what I've promised cannot come about until that changes. I don't want to take responsibility for that. I just want to be over here and I want to be separated from people. And I just want to be able to stand up and influence them, but them never come to my house. You know what I'm saying? Or I want to be able to be a blessing. You know what that is? That's a lazy way out. There have been people in my life. And I was telling Leah this. There was a man named J.O. Beelan in Camden. Uh, it was a great friend of mine. He still is. Greg Beelan. It was his uh, when we were in our traveling worship team, it was he was our drummer, but J.O. was his father. And he's passed away now. But I went to J.O.'s house, uh, J.O. and Kathleen. I went to their house there in Camden. Ten-minute interaction at the most, maybe five minutes. Here's what the interaction was. 
he was a pastor. He pastored uh, some Assembly of God churches, and he was a pastor and retired and older man. And, and they came, and they said they just greeted me. They told me how glad they were to meet me. And they asked me if I needed anything. I said no. They brought me his tea anyway. And and that was my interaction with him. In that moment, from, even even up to the day that he passed away, J.O. Belen could have come from up to me out of any crowd and said, here's what you need to know and what you need to change about your life. And I would have been wide open to whatever he had to say to me. You want to talk about influence. How you influence people is when your heart when you struggle to when you when you strive to make your heart line up with what God wants to do, when you begin to prepare a place in here, you become someone who can influence that man and his wife have probably had ten minute interaction with me it changed it changed me. all they did was offer me a glass of tea and and welcome me into their house i 'm telling you guys. We want to do big things, and we think that that's the best thing. Sometimes big things are lazy. Sometimes the big things that we want to do for God are lazy because we don't want to change in here to line up with what God wants to do. Sometimes it's got to, st- every time, it has to start in here. And we say, well, how is the world going to change? Let me give you a little secret. Um, when Jesus was on the boat with the disciples, it was storming. It was storming so bad that these seasoned fishermen who have seen the storms. They look, I heard somebody talking about it and they said that these guys had seen so many storms in their life. And when they saw this storm, they said, this is the, this is the one. This is the storm that my granddad told me about. This is the one that's going to end us all. And Jesus was asleep in the bottom of the boat with his head on a pillow, fast asleep. None of the disciples and all their struggling could change the way things were. It took a man who had such peace in the middle of the storm to stand up and speak peace to the storm. And we say, well, how is this thing going to happen? It's not going to happen from the outside in. It's got to be a work in you. God, you have to allow God to do his work in you before anything is going to change on the, around you, on the outside of you. So God is calling us. Here's what God wants. He wants to build assembly lines. Victory Church, you are an assembly line. You are an innovative thing that God has done. God is doing something innovative in victory. And we look around and we say, well, you know, it's not making an impact. See, God always prepares. Before some, before he does something, he makes preparation. John the Baptist was there to prepare the way. But when God does something, he prepares. So God has prepared us. God has prepared us to do something special. He wants victory to be like that assembly line so that what he wants to do will happen efficiently on a greater scale and be available to more people. That's what the assembly line did. And that's what God wants to do. 
in victory. God's looking for those who will build pipelines from heaven to earth. One of the most prominent words of last year was this. It was uh, someone said it, and then I just heard it. After I heard it once, I heard it a hundred times. And the word was this. The next great move of God will be in the marketplace. That was a huge prophetic word. Uh, last year is that there was going to be a great move of God in the marketplace that stop, stop trying to be a pastor. Stop trying to be an evangelist. Stop trying to be these things I haven't called you to be. I've called you to the marketplace. And there's so many people in here that need to hear that if you haven't heard it already, that God has called you where you are. And there's going to be a great move of God in the marketplace. So we've got to expand our thinking, don't we, of what 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 the kingdom of God is going to be and going to look like. Because the marketplace is this. It's the structure of our cities. It's the structure of our nation, even our world. It's about resources. It's about ideas. There's a um, there is an institute in California right now that is deliberately and and outspokenly spirit filled and ministry oriented. That their only goal is to train people in coding in. Uh, uh, um, software engineering, all of the technical aspects of our world. They are turning out people, um, and they're, 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 they're credited, and they're turning out degreed people, and they cannot graduate people fast enough because the large corporations in America are sucking them up as fast as they come out because they have character. They have something that other people don't have. And they're entering in some of the most cutting-edge, influential areas of the marketplace. But listen, they didn't build that institute overnight. They started on that institute as soon as they got a word. As soon as they got a prophetic word and sensed what God was wanting to do, they started building as if it was already here. And they begin to invest. And y'all know how church goes. You know, there's not enough money to do everything. And so they began to invest as much as they could and as fast as they could to build something. And right now, God is beginning to fulfill that word through them because they prepared for what God was wanting to do. God wants it all. Everybody say that when we say God wants it all. God wants it all to come into the kingdom. You see, God is the great architect. He built everything. He made everything. And then he put, if you'll remember, he put Adam in the middle of the garden. And he commissioned Adam to put systems in place to tend what God had made. He classified the animals. Y'all know this in Genesis. He classified the animals. He tended the architecture, I mean the agriculture. He he did all these things and he began to put systems in place. And the earth left the kingdom when Adam made it about him. And I'm going to talk a little bit. Um, our worship team is ready for an altar call, but I'm, I'm not ready for it yet. <laughs> but y'all play anyway. Oh, I, got, I got something else I want to say. Um, I feel like you're speeding me up. Um, so the earth left the kingdom in the moment that Adam decided to make it about him. There's always going to be a voice. Y'all listen to me. There's always going to be a voice that's telling you 
to build a system, to build a life that supports you. That there's always going to be a, there's always going to be a voice that's saying to build a system that supports you. And when your life is built to support you, listen to me. Power is not shifted to you. Adam didn't get the power that he was looking for. He didn't get the control that he was looking for. Power can only go two ways. It is not left to you to control your life. It is not left to you to control the things that God has put in your life. When your life is built to support you, power isn't shifted to you. It's shifted to Satan. When you build a life for yourself, you will never enjoy it. Only the devil will have control and power over it. It's a, it's only two, there's only two results that can happen. And when that happens, you become a partner with Adam in handing over the kingdom to the enemy. That's all Adam did. All Adam did was do the one thing that would put him in God's place. The one thing that God said, you say, well, he disobeyed God. Well, you have two. <laughs> but what Adam did is he listened to the voice that said, you can be like God. You can have control over your life. You'll never be in charge because Adam tried that. Our only decision is whose voice spurs us to action because that's who's in charge. Who's in charge? Whoever you listen to. Satan's voice entices you to consume life upon yourself, but that separates you from God's purpose for your life, leaving you your part of the promise, unprotected and easy prey. So when God gives you a promise, the first thought you need to have is who is this going to impact? How is God going to use this to bring his kingdom to earth? But I got to be honest with you. There has been a lot of times I've received a prophetic word and thought, wow. You know, if I would have had suspenders, you know, I would have got my thumbs behind them. It's like, wow, that's pretty awesome. I'm going to do all that, huh? Yeah. And guys, I want to tell you, that's a, that's the same voice that Adam listened to. You don't think. You don't think the devil can talk to you right after God talks to you? Adam experienced that in the garden. Adam walked and talked with God every day. And then all of a sudden, the devil was telling him something different. Guys, I want to tell you, you've got to guard. The Bible says that the word of God is like a seed. And some when the seed falls on the path, uh, when, uh, when it doesn't fall into good ground, when it falls on the path, it gets trampled. When it falls... Um, Help me out when it when the seed falls um, on stony ground. But there's the there's the part where the, the birds of the air come down and, and scoop it up. Guys, I want to tell you that there's always going to be a bird waiting to scoop up the word of God, to whisper in your ear and say, This is this is gonna be good for you. This is and we lose the whole purpose of what God wants to do. When all we do is for the glory of God, three things happen. 
It should be our heart that everything that I do would bring Him glory. Everything that I do would bring glory to the name of God. The worst thing that happens is He walks with us in the cool of the day. All we have to do is just go rewind. Go back in Genesis and say, okay, what does it mean? What does it mean to be in, in, in union with God and to be in partnership with God and to be working to bring the kingdom? What does that even look like? We just look back before sin entered the earth and he walked. God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. Second thing, he shares his plans with us. Number three, he gives us divine wisdom to build systems to usher in his kingdom on the earth. None of that ever is going to happen if you want to be in control of it. None of that's ever going to happen if you want to bring glory just to yourself. What happens is we begin to tend the garden again. And I really believe that there is, there, is, there is prophetic power in that phrase right there. God is calling us to tend the garden again. The garden of your heart. The garden of your family. The garden of wherever He has given you influence or wherever He wants to give you influence. That is your garden. That is the part of the earth that he is wanting the kingdom to come. If he's given you influence anywhere, it is for one reason, and it's for the kingdom of God to come to the earth there. So we begin to tend the garden again. Personally, personally, I believe that this coming year is unlike anything I've ever been a part of. I've decided to be all in, not as a metaphor, not as a, um, I'm, I, not as an exaggeration at all. I just, I, I just feel like there's nothing that it's in my life that he can't do whatever he wants to do with. I just feel like we're in a position right now coming up on the end of this year that it's all on the table. And God says, that's not part of the kingdom, but I really worked hard on that. And I really have gotten attached to that, but that's not part of the kingdom. Let it go. If you want to see the prophetic word that I've given you to come to pass, you've got to let that go because that's not part of it. If God said it, I don't care. Whether the world currently supports it. I don't care if it's an easy road. I don't care if it's even a road at all. If God said it. Then whatever he gave me that word for. Whatever he gave me that word. I'm going to be all in to see that thing through. Guys that's what he's looking for. He's looking for people. Who will prepare the way. And what do we mean when we were talking about prepare the way. Here's the thing. I want you to think real hard about this with me. John the Baptist, according to Jesus, was the greatest prophet that ever lived. If Jesus said that, it must be true. He said he was the greatest prophet. 
And then he said, Jesus said, he was like, I think it was Isaiah prophesied, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Why a wilderness? Why was John the Baptist? You think God isn't strategic on every little detail? He sent John the Baptist to a wilderness. What is a wilderness? It is the most undeveloped location. He sent him to a place that was absolutely, was 100% was undeveloped. It was wild. It was a wilderness. It was basically the Garden of Eden after sin. It was just like, what, it was completely wild. That's where God sent John the Baptist. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Just one, but there should be. <laughs> Why did he say just one, you know? He's the voice of one crying in the wilderness. What is he crying? This is important. Prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way for Jesus to walk the earth? I don't think so. Was he only speaking to those who came out to be baptized by him? I don't think so. Because the way of the Lord was not Jesus walking the earth. The way of the Lord was the way that he made when he died and rose again. The way of the Lord was from that moment until now. The way of the Lord is right now, is what God is doing right now. He and John the Baptist, who Jesus said was the greatest prophet ever lived, was the voice of one crying out from the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. What does the Lord want to do in your life? What has He already told you? Prepare the way. This morning we're going to we're going to sing this song one more time. And if you would say in your heart, let's all stand to our feet. If you would say in your heart that yes, I will answer John the Baptist's voice crying out in this undeveloped wilderness. I will prepare the way of the Lord. I want you to respond, whether that's coming to the altar or just raising your hands and surrender. As we go through this song, I just want you to realize that this is not a feel-good message. This is a right-now message. That this is a message that you need to take to heart because you don't want to miss. Not because judgment is coming and not because He's looking around to see who's not doing what they're supposed to do because He's doing something and you want to be a part of it. Because you don't want to look back and say, look what all God did if only I had done what the difficult thing. If only I had prepared my heart. If only I had allowed Him to do what He wanted to do in me. I could have been such a greater part. Guys, I'm going to be a part. But I just know every moment that I could be even a greater part. Is there, if there's anything in my heart that is keeping him from doing what he wants to do through me, then that's a part of me that could have been involved in what he what he's going to do. I've already, there's been a lot of confirmation. A lot of people have come to me this morning and just said that they believe that God is doing something, that God's going to do something in this service. And, and I, I know, I know it's a confirmation for me because this is something, and guys, I want to tell you, we have already, our family has already given everything. We have already given it all. We don't have anything left to give out here. And now it's just like, oh, wait a minute. What about this in here? See, it's so easy to walk around on the, 
sitting on the crutches of I'm doing this and I'm doing that. But when you when you get rid of all of that, then it's like, wait a minute. There's more. There's what I have in here. I gotta get I gotta I've gotta give that. I think a lot of you in here are blessed in that way. That there's not a crutch for you. That in here may be all you have. Can I tell you that you're miles ahead of other people? Because a lot of people have to get to that point. So if you're in here this morning and you say, I'm going to answer John the Baptist's voice. I'm going to do my part to prepare the way of the Lord. Just respond to Him. Father, I just thank You for Your Word. Lord, I thank You for what You're doing in this church. Lord, this isn't for us. We thank You, God, that You are doing something for, not maybe not even just El Dorado, but You're doing something for Your kingdom in whatever dark place that You have in mind. Lord, we are committed. Lord, this morning, we give it all. We give it all. We make room for you in Jesus' name. Let's sing this song together. Here is where I lay down Every burden, every crown This is my surrender This is my surrender here is where I lay it down Every lie and every doubt This is my surrender oh, I will make room for you To do whatever you want to Do whatever you want to
do whatever you want to.